Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Top, and uh, what a what a gift to reconnect with Pastor Scott. Of course, I knew him just as Scott back in the day. Uh, so many years ago, as he said. And one thing I remember uh, was there was a great outpouring of the Spirit in the youth group that your pastor had been a part of, and uh, my good friend, uh, Pastor Sam Song. And I'll never forget, you know, during prayer time, how the Spirit had fallen so heavy on your pastor that literally he felt like he was on fire. And I asked him, you know, about that because even I, I wasn't feeling fire when I was praying with him or or being around in that moment. But God was moving just powerfully on so many people's lives. And I've reflected a bit on that because I talk a lot about with, you know, I have four kids. My wife Connie and I have been married for a number of years and my kids are growing. And I always tell my my kids, I said, you know, kids, you can be talked out of a theology. You can be talked out of an idea. But if you meet and encounter a person, that is something you can't deny that, hey, I'm, I met that person, I experienced that person, encountered that person. And, and I've, I've noticed that when people have a deep encounter with God, although they might struggle at times, uh, you can't talk, talk them out of the fact that he's, he's real to them. Car, go and move. So uh, it's cool to see that Pastor Scott is still on the journey and now there's rooftop in existence. And uh, I too have been on the journey for many years and I wanted to talk to you about kind of our journey in life and mission. And I've been captured lately by this idea of just the simplicity of, of the church. You know, and the Greek word of church is ekklesia. And ekklesia actually means the called out ones. And certainly I can look at a time and, and, and say, yes, I was called to speak. I remember being uh, a freshman in college and when I had to give a, a speech on giving a free throw, I would just tremble and, and shake. And I never envisioned ever speaking to people uh, about the Lord, much less being a preacher. And then I was on a mission trip one time just to serve because my faith was so real. I figured he just didn't want me to sit there and turn the pages. But I was captured because I had met the Lord. And I was captured by the sense that, that he's so real, I, I got to do something. I, I want to run for him. I want to do something, not necessarily ever preach. But I went down to serve in Jamaica and a guy asked me to speak one night. And I had no idea how to even do a sermon. And uh, little did I know that that night when I stepped up in that little pulpit with about eight people present, I literally was stepping into a gift I knew I didn't have. And then God confirmed that the role that I would serve in the church would be a communicator speaking in front of the church. And then after further study, as you would know about Ephesians 4, 11 and following, it says, for some have been called to be pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, to prepare God's people for works of service, to help the church grow into the unity of the faith. 
And so I've been captured by this idea of, of the word church. The church, it means called out ones. That I'm not just the only one called. If you're a member of the church, you're just as called and significant as I am. My role is, is up here, and my role is taking me overseas. But you too have a role. And a lot of the things I'm doing and have done over the years, I never envisioned me and my family would be involved. But here's a challenge that we have. There's something called the 80-20 rule. And it basically says that 80% of the, the work in the church, 80% of the serving, the giving, is often done in the average church by 20% of the people. So that 80-20 is showing that not everybody is captured by the sense of their significance in, in the body of Christ. And part of my heart and desire around the world as I see the nations is to change the math, to change the math. There was a Gallup uh, poll or a survey done, or, and it was done about the idea of spirituality and spiritual hunger. And they said in the Western world, this will be the most spiritual hungry century in the history of the Western world. But while hunger is going up, mainline church attendance in the West is going down, down, down. So we have our work cut out. We have a challenge in the church of Jesus Christ to, to take our place, to, to know our sense of calling in the church and also to be in society where we're salt and light. And I thought today maybe just sharing a little bit about our story and our journey because when I think about it in the traditional sense, I never heard a voice to many of the places or a big calling or an experience of the supernatural to go where we've gone. But one thing that did really lead us to go overseas and basically in a simple summation of what we do, we went there to train Asian missionaries for unreached people, for places that I'd never heard. And that was not on my radar when I first came to Christ. But in 93 years ago, I went with my, my best friend and we traveled the nations of Asia and we ended up in the rooftop of the world at the end of our trip which was really in the Himalayan mountains. And I'll never forget when I was in that place and we were with kind of an undercover, uh, covert type of missionary single lady who had given her whole life from Southern Cal and moved overseas and was in Nepal and that whole region. And we went into the area of, uh, of Tibet, which was a great phenomenal experience. They call that the rooftop of the world. And I know you're the rooftop, this one's a little bit higher. 12,000 feet, we had to think about breathing. And I'll never forget as this lady led us around and we had the, the prodigal son story on a, like a 10 inch screen. And that story was in the Tibetan language with Tibetan actors and actresses. We didn't know of even a church anywhere, anywhere at all. We didn't even know if one believer existed. And I'll never forget as we shared and, and we're, we're bringing out some, we, we'd hand out some simple, simple scriptures to people. And, and, you know, obviously we're limited by language, but she was not. And, and people were, were drawn to this message. And 
But I'll never forget when this very old lady walked up and she got real close to that screen and I'm just standing there and as she's looking at that screen, suddenly she sees the story about God as Father for the first time in her life. She gets excited and she goes, oh, it's Dalai Lama, Dalai Lama. She's all, all excited and I'm, I'm just watching this unfold. And the missionary, the young lady who, who had tried to go in and out of there when she could just to give people an option about this good news of Christ, she said, no, this is not about the Dalai Lama. This is about the God who has absolutely no comparison. And that's one of the pictures that you probably saw up there, but that lady with the circle around her head she took that little sheet of scriptures, put it on the wall next to all the other sacred objects uh, of her religious background because she knew it was significant. But that lady turned in that moment, looked at us and said, oh, the God without comparison. I've never heard of him. Who is he? And I, I remember in that moment seeing this unfold and I thought, wow, she's got to be about 80 years old. And her whole life, the only witness she got was one parable on a 10-inch screen and about four scriptures on a little piece of paper that you see uh, next to those sacred, sacred objects in that picture, uh, scriptures from the book of Luke. And then in that moment, because I saw the significance of the moment, I thought, what I want to be about is going to places where they've never heard, they've never had the option to encounter the fire that your pastor encountered in youth group because that name isn't even known. And then I started working for Vanguard as director of outreach and I decided we're, we're gonna go to places like that. I heard about another place in the Himalayan mountains that it was not uh, legal to meet in public or to have public worship, although you could worship in your homes, few believers. And what the challenge with some of these places is, one, sometimes these nations have a blockage to Westerners like, like myself, that if we go there, it's not the message of the problem, but perhaps the messenger because the offense that they have toward the West, or they think it's a foreign religion. But in other places, they just don't allow it because their, their, their religious identity is so different. So you have to be creative in how you connect. And we heard in that place that one of the key things they loved was they were having real youth issues and youth crisis, and they loved sports. They loved basketball. And I remember, hey, my background's basketball. So uh, long story short, we ended up not only getting in there to serve, and we were legitimately serving. We weren't baiting, switching. We weren't tricking, but we were offering our gift and background of basketball of being coached my entire life to serve them. We were able to launch youth basketball for the nation. And we got in as guests of that place and it took us not only into the nation to serve and we did that faithfully, sincerely, but it also brought us all the way to the leader's table and you can see the picture. We had such favor, such favor. And it was places like that that have drawn us. And then we started thinking that the key to these places is probably not always going to be the Westerner, but it's going to have to be near neighbor nationals like other Asians or South Americans or Africans who can go where perhaps the Westerner can't go. And so that's why we went to the Philippines. And at the end of this time, I'll tell you, we're getting ready to launch 36 Filipinos into very dangerous areas of the South where we're helping send them. 
So that's the, the burden that moves us. I, I want to look at a scripture today for just a moment in Matthew 9, and I want to share a few thoughts on mission that, that have kind of unfolded in our story. Matthew 9, verse 35, you've got the story of Christ, and you've got the story uh, of him looking over these people, and here's what it says. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's a lot in this text that has grabbed me about mission, and I, and I wanted to share a few of these simple thoughts with you. First is mission or the called out ones. And my goal really here today is to be informative, probably to stir some prayer out of you. But I want, I want to change the math. I want you and I, every one of us, to see the significance of our role as the called out ones. You are just as called as I am, although my role might be to be a speaker in front of the church, but the goal of a pastor and a leader or, or a, a missional person like myself is to prepare you for works of service, not just words of service, but works of service as Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 talk about that you're created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. When I was a basketball player and didn't know the Lord at Vanguard University, I had no idea I'd ever be preaching. But I had no idea as well that God would use basketball to literally take me to the rooftop of the world and I would have access to one of the least reached places on earth. Not just access to that place, but access to the ruler's table. And what a privilege, what a fine leader that person is in that nation. But really we were to be there to be salt and light in the midst of their world. But what I learn about mission, partly from this text, Jesus is going everywhere. And his role was to bring the gospel to the world, but through Israel. And so he brought good news to people. But he, he, goes, he goes everywhere, and then later in Matthew 28, 18 and following, he says, go make disciples of all nations. So he starts here, but his intent was always the ends of the earth. In fact, the last words out of Jesus' mouth before he ascends on high in the book of Acts, it says, you will be my witnesses. Not do witnessing, not be just word-based people who talk religion, but you will be my witnesses. Witnesses that he is a person, he is alive. And he says after the spirit comes on you, that's why the fire on Pastor Scott was so important that he encounters the presence. Here's what's so significant. Mission as the called out ones, the ecclesia, is everyone getting involved. Everyone to everywhere is where he's going. But the last words out of Jesus' mouth, he says, when the Spirit comes on, you'll be my witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then he says, and to the ends of the earth. What is Jesus up to? What is his plan? 
Well, as he said in Matthew 28, make disciples of every nation. And that word nation is ethne. It doesn't mean nation state. It means ethnic people groups. And did you know in the world there's about 17,000 plus people groups? Of those 17,000 plus, probably 7,400 of them would be considered least reached or completely unreached. Some of them don't record a single believer. We had the privilege where we went in that high Himalayan. There are some groups of people, 32 plus people groups, some of them 0%. Even in the Philippines in the south, in very dangerous areas where we're going to send these Filipinos, there are some people groups, even in the Philippines, that don't record any believers. There's people right here. I remember growing up in Minnesota, I just went back there, and I had this profound dream, and in this dream that I had, I, I, for some reason I was meeting somebody there, I was a believer in this dream, and I remember this pastor looked at me, he says, we're going to support you, God's moving in your hometown in Minnesota here. And I looked him in the eye and I said, you know what? I said, thank you for that. This is just a dream now, mind you, but it captured my heart. And I said to him, I said, you know what? Growing up here, not one person ever shared the good news with me. And I wept in the dream. I said the same exact words. Growing up here, not one person ever shared. And so my, my young life growing up in Minnesota, nobody shared with me. And so whether it's to the nations or to your neighbor, people are unreached. They just don't know. And unless we all get a sense and change the math of this 80-20 and we realize we are the called out ones. See, in the Old Testament, when God would call a leader, he'd put his spirit on him. You, you look it up. When he calls Moses, Moses had the spirit. Isaiah had the spirit. Jeremiah had the spirit. Elijah, Elisha had the spirit. Othniel had the spirit. Samson had the spirit. The 72 elders who were called the lead had the spirit. But in the New Testament, who gets the spirit? Who gets the encounter? Who gets the fire? Who gets heaven upon them? It's everybody who's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Everybody gets the spirit. The spirit comes on all of them. They were all filled. Why? Because we're the called out ones. We've got to change the math. How can we reach your neighbor if you don't capture the sense of your significance? Yes, your role might not be here, but your, your role is to be out there in the world, but not of the world. So this idea of everyone to everywhere, but we have to be intentional about these places that, that have nobody. You know, God's plan is every tribe and every tongue. And in heaven, in Revelations, it says every tribe and every tongue was around the throne. That means they've been reached. But very clearly, the plan of God is every tribe and tongue. But, but very clearly, his method has been and is and always will be. What's his method? His method is you. His method is me. I already know what the book says the called out ones are to do. So, so, I, so I go. It was confirmed that, that we should go over there in our hearts, but we also made a choice. You know, I had the privilege to meet Mother Teresa, and, and you know, her heart, her attitude, so incredibly beautiful. And, and millions came to her funeral in Calcutta. 
And, and I remember meeting her. She was like the sweetest, loving grandmother. She made me feel significant. But I realized what made a Mother Teresa, it wasn't some just great, divine, angelic calling. It was the woman made a choice every day. It wasn't just about fire. It was about journeying every day. And her heart for the poor, her desire for the poor, was that they could die with dignity. And she, she so touched lives that way. You know what I've learned about mission? The second thing that I'll say is, is mission is not just everyone to everywhere, whether it's your neighbor or the nations. But mission is also this sense of about seeing. It says here, Jesus saw the crowds, that they were harassed and helpless. Did you know in the book of Nehemiah there is no calling? Nehemiah just asked, hey, how's the remnant doing? He is a government worker, a civil servant. He's not a pastor. He's not a preacher. He is a, a, a cupbearer, a, a wine taster. He works for the king. And he, because he cares, he says, hey, how are they doing back in Israel? I know it's tough, and by then the temple had been rebuilt. So they had a religious way to connect with God. It had been restored, but when he heard they're not doing well, he breaks down and he weeps because he understood that people with no wall have no future hope for prosperity, much less to keep their temple and their spirituality rolling because you're going to get ransacked and overcome. He never once asked God, what is your will? Should I do something? He weeps, he cries, and he fasts, and he prays, and he prays for courage because he's like, I'm volunteering. I gotta do something. In fact, if you read Isaiah chapter six, it says he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the Lord says, who will go for us? Who will go? And, and Isaiah says, I'll go. A lot of us wait around to be difference makers in the world for some special calling. But I think a lot of this is about choosing and volunteering. Nehemiah saw a need and was moved because he's a, a man of God who cares about people. Jesus saw the crowds and he was, he was moved. It, it says that God himself, he saw how they were suffering in Egypt. He said, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard their cries and I am concerned. So I now then come down. You then, Moses, go. See, God sees. God hears. He hears you. He sees what you're going through now. And God is concerned. But what is his method? When he's concerned, he reveals himself to the called out ones. And he moves you. He moves me to go get involved in their lives and make a difference. So the question about calling is not what, what oh, heaven, am I supposed to do? It might be more simple. What do you see? I saw that Tibetan woman, and I'm not arrogant to think I got all the answers, but I, I, I know God's a father. She never even had that option. And so to go to places where they can at least have the option to know, I, I wasn't called there. I wasn't called into that closed place, but I saw that there was very few believers. There were some groups that had no people groups, and I saw, hey, I've got basketball background. Maybe that can be of service to the Lord. It wasn't the preacher that could make a difference there. It was the coach. And it took me to the, to the ruler of the nations even on table. I had great respect to him. What do you see? 
Another thing that took a turn in our lives when I read a story about this little girl, and you'll see the picture up there. 11 years old, she'd written a story, uh, Make a Wish. She wanted a backpack, a pair of shoes, and a bicycle, but her dream was, Mom and Dad, I, I hope they can have a job. So she wrote to Manila for somebody to help and maybe hear. Then later she went to her daddy and she needed $2 to get back to school. She'd been out over a month. They think perhaps she might have been going through some kind of abuse and other issues as well. Never proven though. The little girl who's just as precious as any of your kids or mine. She just needed $2 to get back to school. $2 for a school project. She went to her daddy and her daddy said, Wala, wala, nah, I have nothing. So the little girl hung herself. I read that story and I, I gotta be honest, I, this, the, I was never sent, so to speak, there to do any type of this, this ministry. But when I read that story and I grew up fatherless, I grew up on welfare, I grew up with the paper route, with digging in trash cans to recycle, I, I grew up struggling and surviving and getting by, but we had welfare to send us money to eat. Maybe my background is why her story captured me, but I thought, if I was born there, that would be me. If my kid was born in her situation, that would be my kid. If your beautiful Orange County wealthy situations, and I know it's hard here too, if, if you were born or they were born in that, that would be you. And I saw that girl. And I would get emotional. I would think about the story. Even a couple years go by, and I'm thinking, this doesn't leave me. And I thought, I, I've got to find that family. So one day, it wasn't me, Dr. Bonnert, showing up. It wasn't me, some missionary showing. It wasn't the coach. It was just, I had to go there, and I showed up as a dad. And I showed up at their little poor house, and I said, hey, ma'am, excuse me. Your daughter really impacted my life. Could you just tell me stories about her? And they told me these amazing stories. And after sitting there, I thought, you know what? This girl didn't just need a Bible study. She just didn't need words. She needed help. I thought, we got to get involved. So we launched what we call now the Devout Dream Center, which really wasn't after the L.A. thing. It was just a matter of trying to respond to a little girl's nightmare and find kids like her. And bring hope. So even though I'm training leaders and I, I do seminary and I go other areas of the unreached, I, I, I just had to do this. It flows out of me. See, your calling will flow out of you and, and who you are and what you've been through and your experiences and how God has shaped you and gifted you and the difficulties you've gone through. Maybe what you're going through today could be the very setup for your tomorrows of responding to somebody else's crisis. And, and that's what happened. So we've got 80-some 80, 80 kids we support. We've done micro-business for the families because here's the thought, and this leads me to my next mission point or thought about missions as the called out ones. It's not just the idea about seeing reveals calling, which I think it's central to that. What do you see? Who are you? Are the more clear questions than what should I do, God? But, but I think the other thing about mission is mission is not just about saying, speaking these Bible words, these sacred texts, and if I go and drop off words, then I did mission. No, mission is not just about saying. Mission is more, in a sense, or, or captured by the idea of being, 
and doing. He saw they were harassed and helpless. It says in Acts 10.38, it says Jesus went around, God anointed him. He went around doing good, not just saying good, doing good and healing all, helping all who are under the power of the devil. One thing the devil has over so many people is poverty. The people of God respond. One of my professors said this profoundly years ago. He said that we are called to bring the good news of the kingdom. And what that is, is we bring, we bring to people in the midst of their crisis and we show them what does life look like where God reigns in a human heart. We show them what does life look like. We respond because of need. And that moved me to say, we gotta help this young lady. Get kids like her. And that was our goal. That was our heart. And now when we're going to send Filipinos, all that we've learned in the midst of holistic caring for unreached people in that southern Philippines. See, when I look at it, you guys, I was never called to the southern Philippines. That's where we have the Dream Center now. I was never called to the Himalayas, I, but I saw. And I didn't just go there to bring words as if they're magic. As if because they're religious or they came out of my beautiful Bible or, or, or the book. And I know the word of God is powerful. But people wanted to hear what Jesus said because they saw who Jesus was. Sinners love to be around him. You want to know how to make a difference. And I know I'm running out of time. But you want to know how to make a difference. Matthew 5 has a good thing. It basically tells us this. It says, you are the light of the world. You. He says, you're the salt of the earth. And then he says, salt can lose its saltiness, though. You know why there's this idea of decline of church attendance so much in the West? Not just pandemic, but there has been this movement away from mainline churches. It's because when people look at the Christian church, in many ways, they don't see anything different. Perhaps the salt has lost its saltiness. You know what's great, though, about our faith journey is, yeah, we can lose our saltiness. But if we see that, we open our hearts. And like Samson, who obviously lost focus in his journey for a number of reasons. Remember what happens at the end of his life. He says, once again, oh God, remember me. Maybe you had the fire before. Maybe you were processed, walking. And things hit you. And the salt is losing its saltiness. Well, cry out once again, Lord. Once again, meet me. So we're the salt, we're the light. Notice what he said about a lamp. A lamp you don't put under the table, you put on the table. So the second thing is first, be different. Secondly, be salt, be light, be close to God, walk with God. Second thing is be in the world, lamp on the table. Be involved in people's lives. I was way more involved in all kinds of unbelievers and uh, people's lives as a coach than I was locked in the gated seminary where my role, of course, was to teach leaders. But as a coach, I was in the world. And it flows out of who I was because I had been coached. Who are you? Be different. Be in the world. Lastly, what does it say? Let your light shine before men and women that they might see, not just hear, that they might see your good works and glorify God in heaven. That is powerful. Do good. 
Be different. Be involved. Do good. And they can glorify God. That's the key to expressing our calling in America where there's such a gospel indifference because they've seen other things from the church. We can do it. What what did Jesus do? He helped people. Lastly, what's a bit challenging and somewhat, I don't know if I want to say tragic, but um, it's on the Lord's heart. He not only sees the hurting, they're harassed, they're helpless. See, people need, they do need to know forgiveness. And they do need to know he can be known and he's a loving father. But many people need help, practical help. And he sees that, and because he sees their plight like Nehemiah saw people with no wall, and so he ended up building a wall when he'd never done that before. But Jesus also sees something else. He looks over all the multitudes, and he's like, whoa, the harvest, the opportunity. It's, it's ready, it's ripe, it's incredible. The doors are open. When I look at closed nations, I don't look at them as closed. They are open for people with a skill that matters and a heart that cares. They're open. Hearts and your neighbors are open for a friend, for somebody to journey with them, somebody who cares. But he looks and he sees the opportunity is everywhere. And then he also kind of looks and he says, oh, he sees something else. And he says, the workers are few. You know what I've learned? And, and I need renewal. I need encouragement. I, I lose the fire. I lose the focus. But as I have the chance to roam around, to journey around and connect, I, I realize there's a lot of listeners, but not a lot of laborers. And what I mean by a person who understands their significance as a follower of Christ that says, I'm going to be an intentional difference maker because I know in whom I believed and I see the needs of, and I'm going to care for humanity in his name. If the 80-20 rule is true, we got to change the math. That's why I simply end with the idea of mission is waiting waiting. Your neighbor's waiting. Your workmates are waiting. Maybe there's, of course, there's all kinds of little kids that are hurting and waiting that are just as precious as ours. Will I become a laborer, a difference maker? You know, the exciting thing, and I do have to wrap up, and we're going to take communion, and maybe that can be a focal point of, you know, he died for you because he he adores you and he loves your family. But he also died for you to, to fill you with his spirit. And because his blood cleanses us, that's why the Holy Spirit can dwell in you and come upon you. Let that spirit touch you because his blood makes us as pure and forgiven and clean. It was white as snow. 
And that's why the Holy One can come upon us again. And that's why the Holy One came upon Samson again as he remembered him in faith. And it's almost like those, those two robbers crucified next to Jesus. And one of them says, remember me. That's a statement of faith is that I remember your death on the, on the cross for me, God. Awaken my heart again. Awaken my faith again and fill me with your presence. And Lord, I'll, I'll go for you. That's Isaiah's story. Volunteering. I'll be a laborer for you. I've got right now 36 Filipinos ready to go. Pastor Scott can get you the video out of sensitivity to the, to the danger involved. You know what, my friend who leads this, this it's the first time we're doing this. We're sending them into very dangerous areas, unreached people areas of southern Philippines. But you know when he recruits them, you know what he says? He says, who will come and die with me? That is an intense heart. And I get it, we got to preserve life. And take care of our kids. But when I hear these Filipinos, and some of them are in their 20s, I, I'm grabbed by that, that abandon all for the Lord. And they're full of joy. They're full of joy. You know what one person said about the great martyr, Jim Elliot? In his journal, it says, when Israel wandered in the wilderness, they complained. <laughs> They had no vision. They, could, they complained. But when they marched into battle with a sense of vision toward the promised land, they sang songs of praise. When you capture the sense of your calling, your significance, there, there's a joy. There's an excitement. And that's why we're excited to send these Filipinos so that others can have the chance to know about him. Not just the words of him, but the works of him. And so we're looking for individuals and churches and people to pray for these Philippines. We've got 21 of them funded at least for a year. And we've got 36 ready to go. And we're looking for you to be a difference maker in your city as well as our friends who are going to the ends of the earth. Hey, God bless you. You're the called out ones. You're ecclesia. That's why he gives you his spirit. And we we can make a difference by the grace of God. Can you say amen to that? Pastor Scott, would you come and lead us into communion? God bless you.